Hi, and welcome to The Sustainable Century, where we explore with experts, with leaders, activists, communities of interest, mothers, fathers, and kids, how to buy, how to work, and how to invest for happier lives and a healthier planet. I'm your host, Mark D'Souza Shields. Hi, I'm Mark D'Souza Shields, and this is the Sustainable Century Network podcast. Uh, and I wanted to know, have you ever wondered why we say feet rather than foots? Or, or what we do with our mouths to say a bee rather than a pea? Well, or, or why we seem to rarely seem say what we actually mean, or sometimes people misunderstand what we think we said really clearly. Well, these are questions of intrigue for any good linguist. But it's a bit more than that, and it's something more than that these days, particularly. Uh, it, linguists unravel the psychological, philosophical, sociological, anthropological debates and meaning behind our words, our sentences, what we seem to want to say or what we're actually saying but not saying. And in today's divided world, better we can understand what people are trying to say and hear is, is all the more vital. Today, our guest is Sylvia Yavoska. Uh, she's an associate professor in applied linguistics, the University of Reading, or Reading, sorry, in the UK. Uh, Sylvia is a linguist and she's interested, and get this, in the pervasive power of language, specifically how language is used by powerful players, corporation and the media, to construct notions such as sustainability or climate change to in influence our perceptions and attitudes. Welcome, Sylvia. Hello. How are you today? Very well, thank you very much. I found Sylvia looking at a study that she had done, looking at 13 uh, years worth of oil company corporate social responsibility and environmental reports. And that was from 2000 to 2013, I believe. And I really wanted to talk to her about her study and how companies use language in the context of social and environmental responsibility. So let's start with an easy question. What on earth led you to the study of, of corporate use of language? I'm a linguist and I'm very much interested in the ways how particularly big players, media, corporations, how they use language to construct notions such as sustainability, notions that we can not essentially touch and feel. So we need to do quite a lot of language work to construct them. And when we do this kind of work, we choose words to describe this kind of notions and the choices that we make are actually never neutral. They always kind of uh, reflect certain ideologies that we have. So, uh, you know, the classic example in uh, linguistics is, you know, one person can be described, the same person can be described as a freedom fighter and terrorist, depending obviously on their ideological stance. So words are really never neutral. Wow. Let's so, take um, yeah. So, uh, well, just to butt in for a second, I mean, it, it, is it just basis of ideology or, or companies misleading? Because I, I always say companies, uh, you know, omit or mislead or outright lie. I mean, that's not really what you're talking about. Well, they have the agendas and these agendas are grounded in particular ideologies. And when they talk about phenomena such as sustainability and climate change, they will choose the kind of words that sort of fit their agendas as well. So obviously they don't want to say that they're not doing anything, but obviously if there's not much evidence of their doing, they would choose kind of from the pool of words that they have 
and the grammatical resources that we have in language as well, they would choose the kind of uh, words and grammar that in some ways, you know, will um, fit with that kind of agenda. Hmm. That's really interesting. I, I, I need you to know, I've actually written, not for oil companies, but I've actually mm. written uh, some corporate social environmental <laughs> reports for companies, large companies, in fact. Oh, I would like to interview you. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, the interesting thing is uh, the back and forth on the language when you actually uh, uh, do the edits with the companies. Yes. I yes. maybe I should have stayed I, I I should have stayed in linguistics because really honestly I how how I guess the question for me is how conscious conscious are people like executives of oil companies how conscious do you think they are when they're doing this well, I, I suppose many of these processes are actually quite unconscious, but uh, uh, in, a, in, in some ways when you use a word, you have certain associations with this word mm. and the, and connotations come from the way how we use this word basically you know in the public domains in conversations and so on so if you take an example of the word change i use computational tools and i use actually i look at a large amount of data i don't look at just you know three or four reports this is why for the study we use some nearly 200 reports so when we look at the word change in general english in a large amount of data coming from general english you quickly notice that this word is actually mostly used with other positive words. And actually positive is the top collocation, what we call the top association of change, but also other things like bring about and social and life and so on. So when you use the word climate change, because we have this positive word change in it, in mm. some it kind of leads us to perceive climate change as something perhaps not necessarily good, but in this case, neutral. But so if you look at, at the word warming, it's got different connotations. And again, our large data shows that warming is mostly associated with words like accelerate, catastrophic, man-made. So obviously it's got a different association. So when you talk about global warming, that triggers all sorts of different associations. And obviously the kind of associations possible that the oil industry doesn't really want to be you know, associated with. Wow, that so is, that's fascinating. <laughs> Yes, and also there's been more research, and actually even people, when you present sort of climate change and global warming, research has shown that people are more likely to perceive global warming as serious, a serious matter, whereas climate change is kind of seen as something a bit more neutral, a bit more distant as well. It's something happening, but it's not really affecting us, whilst the kind of perceptions of global warming are very different, as there's been quite a bit of research in this area. So in some ways, I was not surprised to find out that in our large database of CSR reports, global work does not really feature. What we have is a climate change because it's a much nicer word to use. Mm. Well, I'm sure, doing much about it. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure you're aware and you might have even seen it, uh, you know, the uh, climate rebellion folks blocking traffic and yeah. climate statues, which I totally approve, but uh, <laughs> uh, at the inconvenience of some. But uh, you know they ha they have successfully, uh, at least on the internet and, and most social social media, have actually made people change the word from the the phrase from climate change to climate crisis. Yes, 
And I think that's a really very, very good change because the word crisis got a very different implications than change. Because when you talk about crisis, that triggers kind of a need for, for some action. Whereas climate change doesn't do it because action is not something which is associated with change. It, it, would, would you argue then that, um, or that if you can change the substantive nature of a, a phrase, like say from climate change to climate crisis, yeah. Well, could that be a leading indicator of change or could that push change faster? I think that could push change faster. It's not just the discourse and the words that we use. Of course, we need some action here as well. But through right. the language, we open up space in which certain actions become possible. And that's, I think that's the main work, the main kind of task of, of language actually is to mm -hmm. make possible. Well, it, we talked a little bit earlier about... Um, people doing this consciously and you know i've met a large number of people executives from you know not just the oil industry uh, mm. natural energy industry writ large and they're full of good people they're full of people who care about their kids their communities the schools uh you know progress in general uh but they end up well i mean you could say they end up being complicit with you know the terrible yeah. and obvious outcomes of, of fossil fuels yes How, is there a relationship between the way people act and the language that gets used at these companies? That's kind of a difficult for me to say because I haven't really, it would be interesting to talk to employees and managers to see how, how they position themselves. And there's been some research on it and obviously some people are skeptical, but for various reasons they have to be complicit. You know, people have they also, you know, they, they lives and they need salaries and they need money. So um, um, I think that's a kind of a, um, 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 tricky question but i think that essentially if we have critical mass particularly if we open up new possibilities i think that generally people are uh, maybe more likely to you know um, impose certain changes also within the environments which are generally speaking actually not pro climate change pro you know right. against the climate change essentially so i think I think we have to basically, you know, social media and traditional media as well, they also play a role. And again, that's really important space for us to open up new possibilities and new discourses that allow mm. for us to happen. Mm. Uh, I welcome the change in the, in the, uh, in the wording, certainly. Yeah, of course. Uh, uh, we're going to take a small break now for a little bit of music. I'm, I'm speaking with Sylvia Yavoska. Uh, she is a linguist at the University of uh, Reading, or Reading University. <laughs> Can never get yeah. that straight. And uh, right now we're just going to listen to a little box concerto number one in D minor. You're with the Sustainable Century Network podcast. Uh, today, our guest is Sylvia Yavoska. She's uh, an associate professor at the University of Reading. Uh, and we're talking about uh, climate change and 
corporate sustainability and linguistics. Um, before the break, we were talking about um, you know how oil companies or people in executives in the oil companies use language, and is it unconscious or is it is it pushing them towards a certain direction, making them complicit with the outcomes of climate change and fossil fuel and and I, and I wanted to ask you, and I, and excuse me if you're not familiar with this, but I did a little bit of work on uh, oil companies recently, and you know mm. they're pushing carbon converters uh, yeah. as sort of their uh, their uh, solution to climate change, which really just means just pretend. I don't know if this is the case, but yeah. just pretend yeah. at the end of the tailpipe of your car, there's a little box, and it just captures all yeah. the, the carbon. That allows them to take the the stuff, the fossil fuels, out of the ground and keep yeah. carbon out of the air, which is, you know, kind of important. Is there something that we should be concerned about by them talking about it? Because they don't use that explicit argument. You know, carbon converters are what we, what we should... That's what right. So, yes. But you, for, for example, in the data that we studied, you know, there was a kind of a large amount of corporate social responsibility reports. It's interesting that the carbon capture and storage actually emerged as the number one solution. So often in the reports, we find that this was around this particular technology as being something that they, uh, that is very beneficial in terms of mitigating uh, climate change. But in some ways, it doesn't change the business model at all. So basically, they carry on as normal. Plus, they have this kind of a bit of an innovation in the end, as you just said. But of course, I understand from the literature, I'm not a technical expert, but I understand from the literature that there are also environmental impacts of these particular technologies that need to be considered. Mm, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I guess we're in a moment of competition for innovation to solve yes. the problem. And it looks like if you if you if you follow if you follow the uh, technology as closely as I do, it looks like uh, solar and wind is gaining the day. However, yeah. it, there's still this huge question of these companies are huge, they're yeah. powerful, and they spend yeah. a lot of money on. I guess what and maybe if I'm mis I don't want to misrepresent you, but grooming. Our understanding yeah. of, of what the about climate change is about, the climate crisis is about, and how they could fit responsibly into the solution to that. Uh, I mean, are we going to be forever groomed by these companies? Is there an well, anecdote to being sucked into their discourse? Well, in terms of the grooming, they're very, they're very smart. You know, they employ <laughs> PR people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> know exactly how to use language and other means like images to convince us that what the companies are doing is basically good. What I find interesting in the reports that we studied, when every time they talk about climate change, they often presented something to be done in future. So grammatically, they often use the future tense. And often and, uh, when climate change is talked about, is to, particularly when they talked about strategies to mitigate climate change, they often bring in other stakeholders into the debate. So for example, science scientists. Yeah, you find uh, statements such as, you know, uh, governments need to do something. We all together, we need to do something. Consumers need to do something. So it's the kind of a case of, yes, we recognize that climate change is important, but it's not something that it has to be just solely solved by us. We're all in it together. And that's the kind of message that we got from our from analyzing the reports. Hmm. In terms of whether we are forever groomed, I think, you know what, I think they should produce as much discourse as possible. I think they should write and talk more, definitely. Because the more text they produce, 
the more data we have to actually to scrutinize. So I'm as a linguist, I'm quite happy we can scrutinize the data and then we also can critique it. And by doing this, particularly when linguists are working together with social scientists, we could perhaps together raise awareness about this particular discourse and make the companies and um, um, the large organizations also accountable. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a fan of nationalization. I think if you nationalize yeah. Exxon, they might get the, they might get the message. I mean, you, yes, you, yeah. I would love you to look at tobacco and see what the heck happened there. Do the same thing in tobacco because tobacco today, yeah. the companies are as big as they were uh, in the eighties and nineties, even though they find the hell out of them. Uh, in the United States, they just, they just moved over to more uh, fertile grounds, so to speak. I mean, yes. I mean, that could be the case. I mean, if you look at Russia, I don't think they really care that much. The ol oligarchies mm -hmm. there in Russia, I don't think they really care about anything but natural gas and selling it, right? I mean, how do you stop yeah. that? I mean, is language enough to stop that? No, it's not. But it's sort of, if we could kind of take the discourse and, uh, and basically uh, scrutinize it also against the actions that they are taking, I think that possibly could be helpful, but what I, I think you know the, the onus is as well on us as, as consumers, us as kind of you know the receivers of this particular discourse. And what I'm finding more and more, and I find it really fascinating, is the kind of the sort of um, 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 uh, initiatives that are essentially coming you know bottom up. Something like have you, have you do you remember perhaps do you remember Greenpeace and they kind of campaign. Um, against Shell's plan to drill in the Arctic a few years yes, ago. Yes, of course. Up, do you remember they set up this website which allowed its users to create memes of Shell's adverts? So <laughs> I don't. Do you remember users could basically take an advert and basically modify the text to create a meme, or they could create their own text, or they could actually uh, uh, create their own um, image and put a text that was used by Shell and so on. And many of went actually viral yeah. and that's the, the that's practice we call it subvertising so it's basically subversion and advertising right. and this is really successful in the sense that shell had to back off but at least while so i think you know if we we can actually through satire through irony through parody and through the mechanism of social media that we have currently we could actually put a little bit of pressure but you know i agree discourse is not just enough but as I said at the beginning, it opens up certain spaces. Just a quick, a good question. As a linguist, you must be uh, you must be worried about uh, subversion by automation in social media, the, the bots, so to speak. And what happens, say, in the United States? I mean, that could happen on oh, yes. any given oh, yes. issue, right? Yeah. Is there yes. a way to protect yourself from that? <laughs> yes. Um, well, I mean, on the other hand, if we have bots that do something, you know, to uh, promote uh, uh, actions against climate change and so on, then why not? But actually, they don't. They well, normally so, do things like elections and stuff like that. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, after after thirty something years of uh, suppressing their climate change research, uh, Exxon, yes. as they did, yeah. I, I'm not I'm not sure I wouldn't put it past them. I'm not a, I'm, I'm a huge, I mean, we all have to be big fans of accountability, uh, not just to the language that they use, but the actions that they, yes. uh, that they're taking as well. Uh, yeah. This has been uh, an incredibly uh, fascinating uh, 
discussion, uh, Sylvia. I'm so so thankful that you came on to share Thank some you. of your thoughts and ideas. Thank you very much. It was a pleasure talking to you, Mark. This has been Sylvia Yavoska. Uh, she's an associate uh, lecturer or professor at the University of Reading in the UK. You can get a hold of her by checking out the university's uh, website if you want to talk to her. And I, I just want to finish by saying again, thank you, Sylvia. We need not just more linguists like you, we need a lot more people like you. So thank you very much. Thank you. I'm Mark D'Souza Shields, host of The Sustainable Century. Thanks for listening. I hope you liked it. If you did, I encourage you to check out The Sustainable Century blog at thesustainablecentury.net. Remember to click like in all the right places. Better yet, pass the blog or pass the pod along. And remember, it's up to you. It's up to us to make this a happier and healthier world.